14th chapter of John, so if you'll turn there, we had the first 14 verses last week, and we'll take up in verse 15, but I think you need to just remember that the last thing we had, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, and we brought out last week that as far as this prayer is concerned, that he's telling us to ask anything in my name, it involves much more than praying in the name of self, it means praying under the authority of Jesus, praying according to the will and purpose of Jesus, praying according to his work as Redeemer, praying in so many different ways, but it's always because of Jesus, and all of it must glorify the Father and the Son. And we should have learned something about prayer last week that maybe we haven't grasped before. But all of that is just prior to going into verse 15, where he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so you can't expect this total freedom just to come boldly before the throne of grace when you choose to live like you want to live. And this is one thing I think we got out of Hebrews. If it, this was one thing that impressed me, were that there are some conditions to prayer, some conditions to being able to boldly come into, before the throne of God's grace. And so what it is, is that we must come with a full assurance of faith, we must come with sincere hearts, and we must come with lives that back up what we're doing there. Back up the fact that we're born again children of God. So because of this, we understand all of that and we come to the place where he says, this is how you do it. If you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So I got to thinking, first of all, that we should go into some commandments. We should look at some of the things he's commanded us to do. And this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but there's so many things. Last uh, Sunday's lesson in, in the adult Sunday school lessons was uh, the fact that God never tells you to do anything that he doesn't give you the capability of doing in his strength because he lives and abides in you. He never asks us to do anything that he doesn't give us the capability of doing. But it all comes from surrender to his lordship. And surrender, as much as we surrender to him, that's how much we keep the Beatitudes. That's how much we keep the commandments that Jesus has given to us. So let's look at some different portions of Scripture and some different commandments and recognize the fact that he hasn't left us to live this life without knowing some instructions, see, without knowing some things that he wants us to do. He makes it so plain. Now, we'll never know these things unless we get into the Word. We'll never know these things unless we study the Scripture in such a way that it begins to just, they be, the commands, the commandments begin to jump out at us and then we show our love by obeying these commandments. So looking at a few of them, turn to Mark, no, turn to 1 John 3.22 first. John <coughs> 3.22. It says, Dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, then we can approach God with confidence and obtain from him whatever we ask because, because we are keeping his commands and doing what he approves. Now, you remember it said, ask in his name, and I brought that out first. Ask in his name. We have the confidence that we get what we ask when we ask in his name because we're keeping his commandments. So if we're not keeping these commandments, and, and we're going to go through a few of them, if we're not obeying, obeying the commandments of the Lord, then we can save our time and energy. There's no point in going to him in, in prayer. They're not going to be honored, and they're not going to be answered. So I want us to get that. I think that will change our prayer life. Now turn to Mark 12, 28 through 31. This commandment is the one where, and we'll just briefly go through it. This is the one where someone came and said, which commandment is first of all? Which commandment is first? What's the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus answered and said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment, he says, than this. Okay, so the first commandment we have is that we love the Lord with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, with, all our, with everything we are. We love him so totally and so completely that he is above anything and any, anybody else. All right, now do we keep that commandment? We're going to find where we sever our relationship in a hurry. It's not going to take very long for us to establish what's wrong in our lives if we're feeling like we don't have the fellowship with God. All right, that's the first commandment. <clears throat> Turn to Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Let me tell you, this commandment, it's, it's a command. It's not an option. He said, Go forth, therefore, and make all nations my disciples. Baptize men everywhere in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you and be assured I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. All right, so here's the commandment. Each one of us, this commandment was given to every disciple, every follower of his, that we go into the world, wherever our world is, our community, our home, into our neighborhood, wherever we are, we're to go into the world and we're to teach we're to make disciples. We're to find ways to love and win and woo people to Jesus Christ. We're to see that they're taught in such a way that they come to the place where they are baptized. All of these things follow. Teaching them. We don't just bring people to church and then leave them there. We teach them. We make disciples out of them. That's a command. That's a command. Okay, that's sharing, isn't it? What do we do as far as that's concerned? Do we keep that command? Okay, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not set your hearts on the godless world or anything in it. Anyone who loves the world is a stranger to the Father's love. Everything the world affords, all that panders to the appetites or entices the eyes, all the glamour of life, uh, springs not from the Father but from the godless world. All right, so command, love not the world. And we had a sermon on that during the revival, and I hope you heard that because... Mike brought out the fact that the world is under condemnation. It's already been condemned. And so you set your affections on things above, not on a condemned world. And so love here is that setting your affection on a thing, loving the world, loving things of the world to the point that they take priority in your life. We're commanded not to do that. We're commanded not to love the world, not to set our affections on the world, but to love the heavenly home, the heavenly place that he's prepared for us. Love the Father so much that our energies and all our thoughts are on him. Okay, now Ephesians 5.18. Here's some more commands that I just picked, some that I thought maybe might hit us better than any others. <coughs> Ephesians 5.18. <coughs> Okay, do not give way to drunkenness and the dissipation that goes with it, but let the Holy Spirit fill you. What it says in the King James is, be not drunk on wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. A command, not to be drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of us take that command seriously, to be filled daily with the Holy Spirit? Okay, that's not an option, that's a command. All right, now, in the same chapter, let's take verse 22. Um, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Did that give an option? <clears throat> that was a command. Wives, submit yourself to your husband as to the Lord. Okay, 25. 
Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, to consecrate it, cleansing by the water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself, all glorious, without a, without a stain or wrinkle or anything of that sort. But, go back, husbands, love your wives. That's not an option. That's a command. Okay, chapter 6 of Ephesians. <coughs> Children, obey your parents. That's a command. It's not for the Christian. For the Christian. Children, obey your parents. But then it comes on down and it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You see, these are commands that are given to us. Six, uh, one and two and then four. Well, that's the one about fathers. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise attached in the word. This is another command. All right, John 13, 34, we had just a couple of weeks ago. And it said, this is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, that you love one another as I loved you. And we, we had a whole study on how he loved the disciples selflessly, understandingly, sacrificially, and, and you know, on and on you could go with this, looking how he loved us. All right, he commanded us to love each other like that. How many of us try to understand each other? How many of us would sacrifice for one another? How many of us do and love each other in such a selfless kind of way? Forgivingly, that's another way he loved them. How many of us is it easy for us to forgive? All right, that's not an option. That's a command. It's a command that we love one another as Christ loved us. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Unite yourself with unbelievers. There are no fit mates for you. Okay, that's a command. Do not... Unite yourself, be not unequally yoked together, your King James Version has. That's a command. And when you don't obey that command, you love the world. Think of the opposite of these. The opposite of it is to love the world, and we're commanded not to love the world. All right, if you love the unsaved person, even though you're commanded not to marry them, then you've loved the world more than you've loved the Lord. This is what he's saying. Okay, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Here's another commandment. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, my brothers, I implore you by God's mercy to offer your very selves to him, a living sacrifice dedicated and fit for his acceptance, the worship offered by mind and heart. Adapt yourselves no longer to the pattern of this present world, but let your minds be remade or transformed and your whole nature be transformed. That's a command. Present yourselves a living sacrifice on the altar before God, totally and completely. It says this is not a, an unreasonable thing to ask of us. After we know what all he's done for us, this is a very reasonable thing to ask, that we give ourselves unreservedly to him and to his lordship. All right, those are some that I picked out. What about the command to forsake not your assembling, the assembling of yourselves together? Do we pay any attention whatsoever to that? If anything comes up, that takes priority, anything in the world, the world offers, that entices us a little bit, do we obey the command to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together over the love of the world? It doesn't take very long to go through, especially the New Testament, and pick out commands, and you'll find them every other page, by the way. I just had to select a few that I thought maybe might mean something to us. But as you go through and you pick these out, nowhere does it say you can pick and choose which commandments you want to obey. And it says obedience is the key to your test of whether or not you love Jesus. It's easy for us to say, I love Jesus, right? It's easier for us to do what we want to do as far as commandments are concerned. What's not so difficult, we do. 
But Jesus said that if you love me, you will keep all my commandments. You will keep my commandments. Now, he also adds that, that this is impossible, what he's saying when he says, I will send you someone to help you. He's, he's in essence saying you can't do this in your own strength. Nobody can keep all the commandments Jesus has given to us in our own strength. We can't do that, and we need to recognize that. But he sends to us someone who stands alongside us, of us, who dwells within us and gives us the strength. That word means strong, strength. And he comes along beside us and stands within us and gives us strength to obey all these commandments. Obedience is the key or the test of love. If we obey the commandments, we say louder than any other way, I love Jesus. All right, I got to thinking about last night. Let's use an earthly analogy, and maybe that will help. It does, it does no good whatsoever for a child to say, I love my parents, when that child is breaking the parent's heart every day. Does it? That nulls and voids the I love you that they give. You show your love for your parents by respecting them and by causing them as little anguish and as little pain as you possibly can. And the same thing with husbands and wives. Last night, because I have company coming today and I study all day on Monday, I was in a pickle. I'm, I really was. I needed help. I, I needed help bad. And so, you know, Monday night football, Laddie loves Monday night football. And so last night, here I was. I'd studied all day long, and, and the house wasn't cleaned up. Company coming today, Bible study this morning, Bible study tonight. There was just no real time to clean it up unless I, unless... I let the Lord's part go. Right. I wasn't going to do that. They can come in and have a little dust before I'd let that go. But anyway, what Laddie did for me last night was that he didn't say, he didn't lie down in front of the television and watch uh, Monday night football while I was working myself to death trying to get ready for his family coming. That wouldn't have said, I love you, would it? He could have said, now, Rita, you know I love you. You know I love you, but I cannot give up my Monday night football. You gone. That's your job. That's your job. It's your responsibility to get this house clean. He could have done that, but I wouldn't have believed he loved me. I don't believe I'd have really believed he loved me if he'd have let me do that. He said, now, I'm not going to give up my Monday night football, but I'm going to go get you a new vacuum cleaner, and I'm going to give you a real doozy of a vacuum cleaner, then you get yourself in there and do all this work. That wouldn't have said very much. But what really said I love you last night was when he came in and he, did, he said, Monday night football, forget it. Got the vacuum cleaner, started vacuuming. And I'm telling you, before I knew it, he was so carried away with showing his love, demonstrating his love to me and helping me with something that was a real need. I never asked for help from my husband. I think, I think this is my responsibility. I really do. And I don't require anything from him as far as coming in from eight hours a day and then grabbing my vacuum cleaner and vacuuming. That's just not the way it works in our house. But in a case of an emergency, he demonstrated his love toward me. And while the Monday night football was on, he was helping in a tangible kind of way. Oh, you wouldn't believe what that meant to me. It said, I love you so loud, you know, until I couldn't have mistaken it if I had tried. All right, this is what he's saying here. If we really love him, if we really love him, we won't just say the words. We won't just come and give our token gifts, a few dollars here and a few dollars there, and a little bit of service here and there. If we love him, we'll demonstrate that love and desiring more than anything else in the world. When we hear he say, him saying something to us, we want, because of, just by virtue of the fact that we love him, we want to please him, and we want to do something to show that love. You see where it comes in? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is the test of your love. All right, so 
Arthur Pink said, I will keep, here's the test, if I love Christ, I will keep his commandments implicitly. I'll keep his commandments just, just simply because he told me to do it. I love him so much that just simply because he said, read and do this, I'll do it. You keep them implicitly. You keep them impartially, he said. Because you love him, because you love him, and you want to show your love for it, you don't say, now, Lord, I'll do this. I, I can see where I can fit that in. But I won't do this. You know, I'm going to pick and choose like it's uh, a Britling's cafeteria or something. You go through the line and say, okay, I want this commandment. I don't want this commandment. I want this commandment. I don't want this commandment. You can't do that. Not with the Lord. He never asks us to do anything that's not possible for us to do. I want you to keep that in mind. He is not so demanding that he expects the impossible from a human being. He gives us a power. He gives us something within us, a person within us. And he gives us the capability and ability in the strength of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to accomplish all of these things and to obey all these commands. All right, a test if I love Christ is I will keep his commandments cheerfully. Does that blow you? <laughs> Say it really good. Cheerfully. It'll be a pleasure. It'll be a pleasure. I'll keep them and there'll be a smile on my face because I want to show my love to him. Now, if Laddie had been vacuuming last night and he had frowned and he had fussed and he had fumed and he had really given me a hard time, that wouldn't have said I loved you, would it? It wouldn't have. But because he did it with a cheerful spirit, I really knew, I really knew he was just reaching out to me in a, a beautiful kind of way. All right? The fourth thing is if, if the test if I love Christ is I will keep his commandments perseveringly. I'll obey till death. His call to me as a born-again child of God was till death, till the, to the very end. And we have too many people in the Christian community now who are up today and down tomorrow, up today and down tomorrow. They follow today, they don't follow tomorrow. They follow the next day and they don't follow the next day. They go for a week and they're doing pretty good in the next six months and not worth a hoot. All right, now what he says, if you really want to test your love for Christ, it'll be the persevering kind of obedience, the persevering kind that's till death. I mean, it's through this life. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. All right, so now how do we do this? This is impossible. Is it right? Everybody agree? It's impossible to keep all these commandments in our own strength. We've got to recognize that. We've got to understand that. I will never get any further. You try to do it in your own strength, and you'll fall happen to you. But he says, I know this, so I'm going to pray the Father and give to you another to be your advocate who will be with you forever. You can persevere forever because the strength within is going to be with us forever, the spirit of truth. And do you remember in the earlier part of this chapter, he said, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the truth. He says he's going to send us the spirit of truth. So it's the spirit of Jesus. The personality of the Holy Spirit living within us is the personality of Jesus, the continuing presence of Jesus living in and through us. And what he was able to help them do physically can be done far greater when he dwells within us. So we hear sometimes that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We hear sometimes, like Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This is what it's talking about. Really, the power of the Godhead dwells fully within the born-again Christian. If the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily in Christ, and Christ dwells in us, then really, in actuality, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in each one of the born-again children of God. 
Now what happens? We quench, we squelch, we disobey, we, we ignore these commandments to the point that he is so stymied within us, there's no release of this power in our lives. There's absolutely no release of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Nothing's accomplished. Nothing really great ever happens in our lives. You know, we just have him so confined to this little bitty corner down there somewhere, just enough to get into heaven, because we saved just enough to get him by the, the skin of our teeth, but there's no power and no real life rate and no real light radiating from our lives. All right, so he says, another of, the, another of the same kind is what he's saying there. It's like some people have called it Jesus' alter ego, the Holy Spirit within us, the, uh, the comforter, the advocate, the law, defense lawyer, whatever you want to call him. This is the function. He's been sent because Jesus prayed the Father to send him to live within us, not just a presence uh, standing beside me, but a presence within me and a power within me that causes tremendous things to happen that could not happen in a normal person's strength. All right, so he says, another of the same kind. In other words, what really hit me this time for the first time, do you realize that we have two advocates, really? Another of the same kind, that while the Holy Spirit is within us, teaching us and strengthening us and, and interceding on our behalf, and the Scripture says he does that, it also says that Jesus, the Son, is our great high priest, and he's interceding on our behalf. So we have two of them praying for us every day. I don't know why tremendous things aren't happening in our lives. And we got the, fa the Father loving us that much, the Son praying for us by the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit within us, giving us strength, interceding on our behalf every single day. Why aren't we dynamos? Okay, so he says, the spirit of truth, the source of truth, is what he's asked the Father, the person he's asked the Father to send to us. The world cannot receive him because the world neither sees nor knows him. But, he says, here's, here's where we go into a different direction. You can know him. You know him because he dwells with you and is in you. Two different phases, right? At this point, at this very point in these disciples' life, he dwelled with them. The, oh, this is two different dispensations. The dispensation before the cross was that where the Holy Spirit empowered from without. He would come upon a person and give them power to perform a particular task, a particular thing that needs to, needed to be done. And the Holy Spirit has been, has been working since Genesis to Revelation. If you really follow very carefully, the first thing he did was he breathed upon the waters, you know, in the very creation of all that is, is. And in the very end, it says, the Spirit says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. You know, the Spirit is active from Genesis to Revelation. But there were different dispensations in different ways he worked. It, before the cross, before Pentecost, the dispensation was that of the Holy Spirit with you. With you. After the cross and after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was in us. And that makes a whole lot of difference. That makes an awful lot of difference. And he never leaves us. You see, he would depart from Samson or depart from somebody. He departed from them. But the scripture tells us the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in to live and dwell within us, he never leaves us. He will never leave us. So he's always there and the power's always there. It's just dependent upon how obedient we are to the commands. And when we obey, then the power is released and flows from us and affects everybody around us. It's all dependent upon how we obey the commandments that he's given us. That's the test of love. That's the test of power, how obedient we are to what he's told us to do. 
All right, so he's dwelling within us. It's kind of like, and I want to give you my, here, here's another one of my earthly analogies, but, but I love this one. It's like a hose pipe. It's hooked up around the house around here. I've probably shared it with you before, but, but this really happened one day. It was almost like a revelation. I just never had anything quite so clear, but I, I had the hose pipe hooked up around my Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit within us. If you don't do that, Does anybody recall this? And the headline said, Greatest Power Failure in the History of Mankind. And somebody wrote back and said, Oh, no, that's not the greatest power failure. The greatest power failure is among the Christians. And that's true. We live and we just allow darkness all around us because we refuse to have the power turned loose and active. The resurrected life of Christ will cause us to live. I am life. He said, I am the life. And my life I give to you, my resurrected life I give to you during this time, during this walk that we're walking through the rest of our lives. Okay, he says, the man who has received my commands and obeys them, he it is who loves me. He just keeps saying that. He, this isn't the last time he's going to say it. He's going to say it a lot of times before he leaves, before he dies. He's going to make sure they understand that obedience is the key. <laughs> to loving, to showing your love for him, obedience. That, something just popped in my mind. Somebody came to me one time and told me, he says, Jesus said obedience, obey my commands. And I had somebody come to me one time and tell me the best way to show my love for Jesus was to speak in tongues. And Jesus never said anything about showing your love in an emotional kind of way, did he? Did you find that? He, did, he didn't give us a command. He never gave us a command to speak in tongues. He never did. You won't find that in his commands. And he never said, that's the way you show your love for me. He never said your love has to be demonstrated in some kind of emotional way. But he did say over and over and over again, you will obey me. You will show your love for me if you obey me. So it didn't take me long to share with that man <laughs> what I felt was what Jesus expected of me as an individual. And that didn't have anything to do with it. Okay, the man has received my commands and obeys them. He it is who loves me. Anything short of this is he gave me this little pamphlet. I, I was showing my love niggardly. I never even heard that word before, but it sounded awfully prejudiced to me. <laughs> I had to go look it, look it up to see what it meant. I didn't know what it meant. And I found out it meant stingy. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought he was being ugly. <laughs> so anyway, that's not. If I don't want to be stingy with my love for Jesus, I'll find out what his commands are and I'll do them. And that's how I'll show my love. Cases, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Now, you wonder, many times you hear people saying, okay, I'm not getting any revelation from God. I'm not getting any insight. I'm not hearing from him. I'm not, I don't feel his presence. He's so far away. He says, you've got to obey him. Obey the, the commands, and then I'll disclose myself to you. Didn't that what he said? So disobedience. Uh, ignoring these commands, refusing to follow these commands, cuts you off from feeling the, the power and the presence and the disclosure of the Son in your life every day. Oh, I found so many answers to what problems are all about in this portion of Scripture that maybe I wasn't even aware of, but it really has spoken to me. All right, Judas asked him, and this was the other Judas, not Iscariot, Lord, 
what can have happened that you mean to disclose yourself to us alone and not to the world? You remember during this discourse, every now and then somebody pops up with a question like uh, Thomas. You know, said he kept saying, I am the way and no one comes to the Father except by me. And Thomas pops in and says, how are we going to know the way? You know, if you don't tell us the way, how are we going to know the way? And he has to explain to Thomas. Philip comes along and says, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll suffice. That's all we need. Just show us the Father. And then he has to explain to Philip that he's been with him all the time. Have you been with me so long time, Philip, and you haven't seen the Father? You haven't heard anything I've said? You haven't known that I and the Father are one? All right, so here now what Judas is asking is, is Lord, if you don't disclose yourself, you know, have this disclosure, this manifestation, how are you going to manifest yourself to us, not to the world? And he's thinking in the, in the uh, terms of the miraculous, something that's going to happen in a big sign or something, and the world's going to see it too. That's never what he's been talking about. Jesus replied, again, anyone who loves me will heed what I say. Then my Father will love him. Anyone who loves me will heed what I say. That means do it. Will obey what I said for you to do. Anybody who loves me will heed what I say. Then my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. But he who does not love me does not heed what I say. So we find all these commandments. And we say to ourselves, how many of them do we do? How many of them do we obey? And then we come back to this. And he says, he who does not love me does not heed what I say. If you do not obey the commands of, of the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit within us, if you don't do that, you simply do not love Jesus. Is that, that was clear, wasn't it? I mean, he couldn't have made it any more clear. But I still think unless we have it almost hit us like a two-by-four between the eyes, we'll never do anything about it. I think if we really believed what he was saying here and we really did love him, we would be so conscientious about striving now to know what his commandments are and to do them, to show our love. Don't you think so? Don't you really think that's what we would do if we really loved him? Okay. He says, and the... Uh, the word you hear is not mine, it's the word of the Father who sent me. I've told you all this while, I'm still here with you, but your advocate, your comforter, whatever you want to call the name you want to give, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, your def whatever you want to call him, comforter, sometimes we think of comforting just as somebody who's had maybe a death in the family or a bad sickness and we go and sympathize with them. That's what we kind of think in when we hear the word comfort. But that's not what this means. This means much more than sympathizing. He sympathizes with us, I'm sure. But he comes in and gives us strength and power to accomplish the impossible in our lives. And so this is what he's saying. Your helper, your divine helper, spirit whom the Father will send in my name. And listen to what he's going to do. He will teach you everything and will call to mind all I've told you. He'll teach you all things, and so we can't be taught, we can't learn anything about the Scripture, nothing about the Scripture until the Holy Spirit is within us, and He's the teacher. And when we learn anything, give the Holy Spirit credit for it. He's your teacher. He's the one who teaches. And not only does He teach, but He recalls to our memories. Well, that takes the sting out of anybody who thinks their memory's gone. That's why you got the Holy Spirit. He'll recall to your memory all the things you need that you've ever learned about Jesus. He always, his ministry is always to lift up Jesus and glorify Jesus and teach about Jesus. Never bringing attention to himself. This is not what his function is. 
This is never what he does, and this is a confusion today, too. But what happens is that he will not only, if we will care enough and hunger enough and thirst enough after what's in this Bible, we can go into it depending upon the Holy Spirit to teach us, and he will do exactly that. Not only will he teach us, but when the occasion comes, when we need to have that recalled to our memory, he'll bring it back just in a flood. That's a super special, I can hardly grasp that. But I read one time where there were two men, a minister was saying, there are two men I've known in my lifetime who've known more about the scripture than any other two men I've ever come across, any other two people. And one, he said, has every earned degree that can be earned. Oh, he had PhDs and whatever kind of Ds you can have. He had every earned degree. The other was a Negro slave, had no education. No, not even first grade. He had nothing. But he asked, he was on a, a, a plantation, and he asked somebody to please give him a Bible. They gave him a Bible. He said, if anybody ever has just a few minutes during the course of a day, would they just teach me how to read some words so I can read the Bible? He was illiterate. And so every now and then, somebody would take an hour here, an hour there, and they would teach him to read. And he learned to read just enough to read the Bible. And this man said, I, my path has crossed these two men, and both of them have such phenomenal grasp of the Scripture. It's just amazing to listen to them expound and the wisdom they have and everything. Two totally different walks of life, two totally different individuals. But the, he said the thing they had in common was they had the same teacher, both born-again Christians, and they had the same teacher, the Holy Spirit. It was said that this, this Negro slave died in a hospital, and when they, after he died, under his pillow was this ragged Bible. Oh, he has too many of our Bibles look like they get taken home and put on a shelf and left till you come back again and you carry them around like a pair of gloves that complement an outfit or something and never, never dug into and used. See, Bibles like this are never abused. Do you remember uh, uh, Smith who came, the foreign missionary who came, and he had two Bibles? He said, one, one this ragged, what's his name, Smith? Shelby, Shelby Smith. All right, he's, his wife had died just before that, and that, when he came that time, just nearly tore me to pieces because he had this ragged Bible, and he said, this Bible has not been abused. It's been used. My wife has poured over the Scriptures for years and years and years. That one finally wore out. He said, I just bought her this new Bible. She died before she even got to really get into the new, the new Bible. But this is the same sort of thing of this Negro slave. It takes some digging. It takes some really getting down and hours, hours of concentrated study with the knowledge that we've got the teacher above all teachers teaching us. We don't have to go to seminary. If you can go, that's great. But we don't have to go in order to know what's in the Scripture. We don't have to have a college education. We don't have to have a grammar school education if we just really depend upon the Holy Spirit. Now, and this really affected me several years ago when I read it. It said both of them said the same thing when he said, How have you learned so much about the Scripture? Each one of them gave pretty much the same answer in their own way. They said we would never begin to read one word in the pages of Holy Scripture if we didn't open it up, put our heads between the pages, each one separately now, they weren't together, put my head between the pages and beg to be taught. That was the secret. They were so hungry and th so thirsty after the Word of God until they would dig and pour over it, but they never did it unless they bowed their heads first and prayed that the Holy Spirit would teach them, open up truth to them. 
with the longing, once they knew it, to obey it. And there's where we fall short. That's it. That's, that's what's wrong with us. We don't dig in it to begin with. We don't spend hours poring over the Scripture. And once we hear it, if we don't like it, we just ignore it. <laughs> we just say, forget it. I can't do that. That's impossible. I don't want that. We shove that by the wayside and we go right on. Disobedience. No love. No sincere love for the Lord Jesus Christ when that happens. All right, he says he'll teach us everything and he'll call to our memory when we need it, all that he's taught us. And then he says in verse 27, Peace is my parting gift to you. My own peace, such as the world cannot give. Listen, there's never been anybody who lived an example of a peace filled, peaceful life like Jesus Christ. I mean, he had everything going against him. He knew everything, all the things that make us nervous wrecks. He experienced all of it. Rejection, uh, no love, abuse, physical abuse, persecution, on and on and on you can go. No understanding. Nobody seemed to understand him. On and on you can go. And he was totally at peace through it all. So he's got something. He's got something to give us. And he said, that's the peace I want to give to you. That kind of peace. No matter what the circumstance is, no matter what surrounds your given day, I want to give you, give you the peace, my peace, my kind of peace. The world doesn't know anything about it. All the world has to offer us is a peace of escape, isn't it? Have you ever thought about it? The world says to us, escape in a bottle. The world says to us, escape in a tranquilizer. The world says to us, escape, try to find some escape in Norman Vincent Peale's books on how to think positively or whatever. The world says, go off on a little vacation, you can escape. You can never escape. That's all the world has to offer is some temporary escape. It does no good. You and I both know that we're going to have to come back to reality one day. It's going to be the same big old mess it was before we left. It's true. The world tries to give us a piece of escape. Jesus gives us the peace within the circumstance that keeps us on top of everything that happens in the course of a given day. That, he says, that's my legacy to you. That's my legacy. That's my parting gift to you. You know, I've done everything I can do for you while I'm here. Now I'm going to leave. I want to leave you with peace. Now the first century knew about this peace. The first century Christians had some understanding after Pentecost of this peace. But today the Christian community is filled with nervous wrecks. Is that true? Does everybody agree with me? What happened to the peace? What happened to the parting gift? Disobedience. <laughs> Disobedience. <laughs> That's it. Okay, he said, then he said, set your troubled hearts at rest and banish your fears. Now remember the context of this. He's about to die the next day. He's about not only to die, but go through a mock, a, a ridiculous set of trials. Everything's about to happen to him. And they're to be, all the disciples, those he's talking to right now, are to be put through some difficult times. And he says, set your troubled hearts at rest. No matter what the circumstance is right now, your hearts can be at rest because Jesus never told us to do anything that wasn't possible. And he's, he's not such a dummy. He would have said, set your troubled, heart, tro troubled hearts at rest if it hadn't been possible. So it was possible. Banish your fears. You heard me say, I'm going... You know, I said I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. Not only am I going to come back for you, not only am I going to come back in, in the resurrected body for a period of days on the earth, not only am I going to come back to you in the 
power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, not only am I going to come back to you when I come in the second coming, three different coming backs that he might have been talking about there, that's not all that he was saying to them. He said, you can rest in the fact that I'm going away, but I'm coming back and I'm going to have all the provision that you need to go through whatever you have to go through. You're not going to have to be troubled. You're not going to have to be panicked over anything. He says, if you like, well, well, let's take just for a minute. Did you know that worry and anxiety, and, and by the way, I gave a questionnaire to my Sunday school class, and the one thing that I, I asked what problem they were having the greatest problem with, and in my Sunday school class, I guess it's a good group, uh, worry, worry was the thing that came out more than anything else. Worry about this, worry about children, worry about money. Worry. Did you know that worry and anxiety are contrary to God's will? Did you know that worry and anxiety are contrary to God's will for your life? Totally contrary. I want to give you some scriptures, and we won't have time to go into them now, but I want you to jot them down, take them home, read them, study them, pray about them, ask the Lord to point out to you what's wrong as far as disobedience in your life is concerned that would cause you to be in such an anxious state. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Take no thought of tomorrow. Don't worry about it. I've got all the provision that you're going to possibly need. It's all there for you if you'll claim it. Matthew 8, 26. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 is another place where he says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. He gives you the little key to it. He gives you the key to a satisfied heart and mind and soul and, and peaceful kind of existence. 1 Peter 3, 14. 1 John 4.18 Colossians 3 verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 15 study those carefully and Hebrews 13 5 and 6 and 1 Peter 5 and 7 the will of God for us is that we be at peace with him and in, in, in a restful state in him because we're obeying to such a degree that he's filling us so full of himself and full of his power and full of his victory until there's no place in our lives for a troubled heart no matter what the circumstance is. Now keep going back there because I think we keep coming up with different things and we say, well, now this is so bad I got to worry about it. Don't we do that? Now this is, this is impossible. I got to worry about this. That's not what he said. And it doesn't eliminate any of us, fellas, any of us. And that's financial worry, that's children worry, that's uh, parent worry, that's husband worry, wife worry. It doesn't matter, church worry. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a sin. Okay, so he says, if, if you loved me, and I'm coming back, if you loved me, you would have been glad to hear that I was going to the Father, for the Father's greater than I. In his limited uh, form as man, when he came to earth as man, he became subject at that time to the Father. So this is why he keeps saying the Father is greater than I. I've told you now beforehand so that when it happens, you may have faith. Did you hear what he said right there? He said, I'm going back to the Father, and you should be glad to hear that I'm going to the Father. And that's one we ought to commit to memory when, when a Christian dies. We ought to come back to this and hear what Jesus said when he said, you should rejoice that I'm going to the Father. It doesn't take away the hurt and the pain and the loss. It, it, we're, we're lonely. We miss somebody we love. But we should, according to Jesus, rejoice when a Christian dies and goes to be with the fathers of this world. 
and the pain and the heartache of this world. We should rejoice for the person. We can cry for a while because of our loneliness, but never is one without hope. Never is one without hope. We should be so thrilled that any born-again child is in the presence, the very presence of the Lord. He said, you should rejoice with me when I'm saying I'm going back to the Father. No longer will I be on this earth in this form, limited in this fashion. I'm going back so greater things can happen than have ever happened before because of my crucifixion, because of my resurrection, because of my ascension, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, your advocate, your divine helper, your comforter living within you. You're not, see, you remember Peter's problem was that he was okay if Jesus was right by his side. But when Jesus wasn't there, he'd fall in front of a woman. You remember that? All right, now he says something much greater is going to happen. I'm going to live continually within you. You will never be alone. You will never be without me. And that ought to give you peace. That ought to give peace if, if the Lord is in us and we really believe that. Anxious above everything else to give us all that we need as far as provisions concerning the, the heavenlies, the spiritual things, and the earthly things. If this is true and we believe the scripture and we believe the Lord, then we ought to be of all people on this earth the most confident, secure, restful, peaceful people no matter what's happening. He that's within us is greater than he that's without. And that's what Jesus says next. He said, I shall not talk to you much longer for the prince of this world approaches the devil. He's about to have his greatest battle with the devil on that cross, in the garden and on the cross. He's going to have his greatest struggle with Satan. And he says, I can't talk to you much longer. The, the, uh, Satan, the prince of the world, approaches. He has no rights over me. Jesus knew that. As much as he was so surrendered, he was totally surrendered and totally obedient to the Father. We'll find that in the prayer in chapter 17. And if you've never gotten into that prayer in chapter 17, I, I just give you warning ahead of time. You're going to melt when you get into his mind and into his soul in that prayer experience in chapter 17. But he says, the devil has no rights over me because I am not going to let go of, of my obedience to the Father and the will of the Father being accomplished in my life. And Jesus knew that, and he knew that stopped the prince of the world from being able to have victory over him. But the world must be shown that I love the Father and do exactly as he commands. Jesus said the world knows that I love the Father because of my obedience to him. And he's going to say in that prayer, Father, I did everything you told me to do. I kept every appointment. I did everything exactly as you commanded. And that's why he had peace. <laughs> you wonder why he had peace in the midst of these sort of circumstances. It was because of obedience to the commands that the Father had given him. So he says, so up and let us go forward. Go forward where? They left the upper room at this point, and they walk through those, those dark streets of Jerusalem, and they go down the Valley Kedron, and they go up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's go up, let's get up, and let's leave, and let's go to the Garden. This has to be taken care of there. Final surrender to the will of the Father as far as the cross was concerned. Let's go up and get on with the business of, of the, the trials and of the crucifixion. All these things is what he's saying when he's saying, let us go forward, let us go according to the dictates of the Father. All right, I want you to, to listen to some things all the way through here. You would think when he said, set your troubled hearts at rest, you would think if they had heard what he had said when he said, started out, he says, love one another. 
He said, where I'm going, I'm going to show you the way. He said, trust in me always. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's in my Father's house, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to take you to this prepared place personally. Wouldn't that, rest, wouldn't that put your minds at rest if you really believe that? That he's not only prepared a place, it's in the Father's house, and he's going to come and get us personally. That takes the sting out of death. I shall come again to receive you for myself. Then he said to Philip, I'm going to show you the way. You're not going to have to worry about how to get there. Don't try to figure out any of that. Trust it. Rest in the fact that he's not only going to provide the way and knows the way and he's already gone before us but he's going to come again and take us and show us the way he says again all the way through here he says believe in me believe in the deeds that i've done look at the deeds and know that i'm telling the truth that i'm going to do all the things that i promised you that i'll do he says, you will in my name while you're doing my work on this earth and keeping my commandments and doing what i want you to do you ask what you will in my name according to my authority according to my to me as a redeemer according to uh the necessity for it to be glorifying to the Father and the Son. You ask what you will and what your needs are as you stand in my place on this earth, and I'll answer it. I'll give you anything you need. Wouldn't that set your hearts at rest? You see what he's saying? He's giving them his final bequest. He said, obey my commandments. He said, not only are you going to have to do this, but I'm going to send somebody to help you, somebody to dwell within you, a person to dwell within you and give you power and give you the ability and capability to do all of this. He said, we're going to be in you. We will never leave you. We'll never forsake you. He said, I'm going to live. I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. And because of my life, because of my resurrection, you're going to live also. And then he says again, you love me. You, you keep my commandments. And I'll send the, the Holy Spirit, and whatever you ask in my name, it'll be done for you. And he says, once again, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything. You're not going to have to worry about what he said for you to do. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Then he'll recall to your memory whatever you need to know in times. Then he says, not only that, I'm going to give you peace. I give you peace. I give you peace. That's my parting gift to you. So your, your hearts won't have to be troubled. We have to deny that gift in order to be anxious and worried and nervous. We have to, to literally deny the gift of peace that he has for us, that he gives to us. And then he says, it's all going to be over before you know it. And I'm going to come again for you and take you to be with myself. No victory. The devil is not going to have victory if you obey what I've laid out. So let's get up and get on with the business. That's, that's what he said after he had given all his bequest, all the things, the last things they needed to know. He says, let's get about the business of acting on this. So that's the end of the lesson today. We heard it all. We know what the key to peace is. We know what the key to an untroubled heart and soul and mind is. We know that. Let's get about the business of obeying, about the business of acting on it and claiming it for ourselves.